The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, and then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, downtown family. Right, this morning, we're going to be continuing that series on Start Week, but today we're talking about starting week uh, in the context of family. And I just want to thank those families that were willing to share their stories with us, the Herons uh, and the Gilchrist. Thank you for opening up and taking us into your world and showing us how God uh, is working in your world. Uh, to the downtown family, me and my wife, Ash, have been here for about five months now. I just want to thank you guys for being so welcoming and uh, making us feel at home here at Downtown Church, being back in Memphis. Uh, y'all made Memphis feel a little bit more like home, so I just want to thank all of y'all uh, for that. Uh, I don't want to go too far in our time today, though, without acknowledging that it is MLK Weekend. Uh, this is the weekend where people all over the world celebrate the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I find it kind of surreal, I almost have to pitch myself, that we get to be uh, right here in Claiborne Temple, where a lot of that legacy was built. Counted uh, definitely a privilege that we get to be here and we get to celebrate that in this place. Uh, it was in 1962, 1962, Birmingham, Alabama, and Martin Luther King was speaking uh, at a Southern Leadership Conference meeting. So it was some 300 men gathered, similar like this, and they were all dressed in their Sunday's best in dark colored suits and ties, and they were ready to hear from Dr. King, all right? And so they all gathered. Uh, but one man in particular stood out that day. Uh, he wasn't wearing his Sunday's best. Uh, he, he was wearing a, just a white T-shirt. Who knows, it may have been his Sunday's best. But he, he, he was wearing a white T-shirt. Uh, and he was an American Nazi lieutenant by the name of Roy James. And so as Dr. King preached, Roy James had heard all that he could stomach. He had heard all that he could take that, that, that morning. And he literally got up from his sixth, his sixth row seat and then made his way up to the stage tackled Dr. King, punched him in his face, sending Dr. King tumbling backwards. True story. Roy James got on top of Dr. King and, and began to punch him over and over again while the crowd, while they, while they listened and, and they screamed in horror, as you can only imagine. Somehow, someway, Dr. King was able to get back up to his feet and, 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 and he, he was able to face his much bigger attacker and he looked face to face with his attacker in what must have been a very tense moment. And in that moment, staring face to face with his attacker, uh, his attacker, Dr. King just dropped his arms and literally turned the other cheek. In what must have been an awkward turn of events, the men began to rush the stage to come to Dr. King's defense. And when they came to his, his defense, he said, stop! Don't touch him! Stop! 
Don't touch him. We must pray for him. And that's literally, literally what they did. Dr. King would take Roy Roy James into a room and talk with him one-on-one that day. He talked with him one-on-one and he actually prayed with Roy James one-on-one. See, Dr. King knew that there was something more important than the way his face must have felt on that day. There was something more important than that. He knew that there was something more important than revenge. He could have got revenge. He had 300 men that were willing to come to his defense. He knew that there was something more important than getting revenge on that day, and even in the score. He knew that a legacy was on the line. And and that one single act of humility, in that one single act of weakness, he, he, he preserved that legacy. See, he had all of these men watching him, they were watching him to see how, how he was going to truly respond when adversity came. They weren't just in the crowd taking, taking notes on their paper. They were watching him and taking notes in their minds, seeing if this nonviolent thing is re- really all what, what he said it is. And see, Dr. King knew that there were people watching his lives, and he knew that his legacy was on the line in that very moment. You and I. We're probably not going to be Dr. King. We're probably not going to ever give a I have a dream speech or nothing like that. But we all have people watching our lives. We all have people taking mental notes on what we're doing. And we all will pass on something to the next generation. There's no question about that. We all will pass on something to the next generation. But the question is what? We all will leave something behind. But the question is what? what? What will we leave behind? What, what will we pass along? For some of us, we're going to leave behind our businesses. We're going to pass along our businesses down the line to the family. Uh, for some of us, we got a good old cookbook, and we're just going to pass on down those, those family recipes. And that's fine. That's good. Uh, some of us are going to pass down a love for a particular sports team. You're just going to disciple Cowboys fans, out the Cowboys fans, out the Cowboys fans over again. <laughs> We all will pass along something to the next generation. Sometimes we're going to pass along some things that are not so healthy. We might pass along our temper. We might pass along our prejudices. We might just pass along our last name, but we all will pass along something to that next generation. But the question is what? Y'all, today we're going to be talking about legacies and last names. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your matchless son's Jesus name. Just thank you for today, for this opportunity to worship you and give you praise and give you honor and give you glory because you ultimately deserve it more than anything or anyone else. Father, let me decrease so that you may increase. Move me out of the way. Communicate your word clearly. Speak to our hearts today. It's in your mighty son's Jesus name we pray. Amen. Uh, As we come to our text in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, we see God preparing his people, the Israelites, to pass along a legacy of faith. A brief history about the Israelites. They had formerly been slaves. They had been slaves to, to Pharaoh in Egypt. And with that slavery, uh, it came a loss of heritage. Uh, with that slavery uh, came a loss of identity. A lot of stories of faith got lost uh, in, that, in, that, in that slavery. And they literally had their identity and their heritage and, the heritage and these stories of faith beat out of them. But, but God saw fit to, to, to bring them a leader. God saw fit to, to show them grace. He looked down from heaven and he heard their cries. 
He saw them when they were in slavery. He saw them when they were in abundance. And he did an amazing work of grace, calling the man by the name of Moses to be their deliverer. And he would rescue them out of that bondage. He would, he would then take them uh, uh, through the wilderness where he began, he began this identity formation. He took this band of nobodies who didn't know who they were and who didn't know whose they were. And he took them and he began to do an identity of formation saying, I, I know you were, you, you were lost and in bondage in Egypt, but I'm going to make you my people. And I'm going to declare myself to be your God. And I know you don't know left from right, but I'm going to give you a law. And I'm going to teach you how to live. And I'm going to teach you how to know me. And I'm going to make a covenant with, with you. And you're going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. And, and I know you've been in bondage in Israel, but I'm going to give you your own home. I'm going to give you this promised land that I promised to your patriarch Abraham. And, and it's, it's going to work out. It's going to be all right. And so, so God leads these people out of slavery through the wilderness. And at the point of the story that we're about to dive into now, he's about to finally give them that promised land. They're about to reach that promised land. But there's a concern. There's a concern. See, God knows his people. And he knows that they are tempted to, to easily forget about him. They easily forget who he is. They, they easily forget uh, what he does. And he knows that they're going to be tempted to forget about him. In verse 12. It says, before I take you into the promised land, Egypt, remember this. Take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Lest you forget. Lest you forget. Lest you forget about the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Lest you forget. See, there's something about this promised land. It was going to be nice, y'all. It's going to be nice. He said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. He said, you're going to have cities that you did not build. Just just think about just walking into Memphis and it's just already there. (laughs) Cities that you did not build. They're going to be houses filled with with items that you didn't put in there. It's going to be nice. Flat screen TVs, uh, refrigerator filled with food. Uh, Mario, cowboy star on the wall already for you. It's going to be all right. You're going to walk into this nice place. But the temptation is you're going to fall in love with all of this stuff. And you're going to forget about me. And you're going to forget your primary mission, which was this. To pass down that legacy of faith from one generation to the next. You're going to fall in love with all of this good stuff. And you're going to be tempted to forget about the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. The, the, your children, they need to know about how I parted the Red Sea and how I, how I, how I defeated Pharaoh and how, I, and how I saved you and how I provided for you in the wilderness when you had no idea how you were going to eat your next meal and I provided it. Your, your children are going to know about that, but you're going to be tempted to forget about that and fall in love with all of this stuff when you go to the promised land. So I'm having to remind you, lest you forget, lest you forget about the Lord your God who brought you out of, out of bondage. In Canaan, there are a lot of threats. Canaan is a pluralistic society, meaning they worship many gods. And so God knows his people. They're tempted to worship anything besides him. All right. They, they, they at one point worshiped a, a golden calf. They took a golden calf and made it God. And they forgot about all that God had did. And God is saying, be careful. I'm about to send you to a nice place. I'm about to send you into the promised land. But don't forget about me. So since the stakes are so high. And since the, the, the stack, the, the deck is kind of stacked up against them and the stakes are so high, God does something that he had never done before in this point. Uh, at this point, uh, he begins to challenge the family. He begins to challenge the family. 
because God knows if the legacy of faith is going to get from one generation to the next, that the family is going to play a huge part in that. If the legacy of faith is going to get from one generation to the next, the family is actually going to just have to step up. He's not banking on society. He's not banking on the school system. He's not banking on an elected official. He's banking on the family. And so before he sends them into the promised land, he gets very direct with the family and says, I'm going to need you to, I'm going to need you to step up. And it's one observation uh, that we can take from that. And it's that the family is important. The family is important. It is absolutely important. When the game was on the line, God went to the family. Just like when fourth quarter Bulls, anybody watch the Bulls? In the fourth quarter, you already know, Chicago's going to Mike. All right? Fourth quarter, God's people are about to go into the promised land. He is going to the family to make sure that that legacy of faith gets down from one generation to the next. The family is important. Well, some people may struggle with that. They may say, uh, well, Terrence, family is messy. You don't get it. My, my family is messy. They gossip and there's their sibling rivalry and I, I kind of come from a broken home. The family, the family is, 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 is tough, Terrence. You mean the family is important? Yes. God loves that beautiful, messy institution called family. Even through all of the mess, through all of the, the gossip, through all of the broken promises and forgotten wishes, God says that I love the family and I'm going to work through it and I'm going to fulfill my purposes through it. We see this as early as Genesis Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 1 with the first family, Adam and Eve. Uh, God, God is speaking to Adam and Eve. He says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is to the first family, Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You see, God is banking on the family to, to, to replicate his image over and over and over again. He's, he's basically saying, have kids, have children, and raise those children up in the fear of the Lord. Uh, teach, those, teach those kids about me. Uh, teach them about my stories of faith. Tell them about what happened. Tell them about how you were a mess and I saved you and redeemed your life. Tell them about my goodness over and over again. And, and, and why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we tell our children about a God like that? Why wouldn't we teach them to teach their kids about God and to teach their kids about God and to teach their kids about God until we leave behind a legacy of faith? Uh, I recently had the privilege of, of visiting my, my family cemetery uh, named Grace Creek in Grace Creek uh, Baptist Church. And uh, it, Grace Creek was actually started in 1843 by a former slave by the name of Free Joe Harris. True story, he purchased his own self out of slavery in, in the 1840s. And, and after that, he soon worked on a stagecoach on what we now know as Stage Road. And he worked on that stagecoach. And he took all of that money and he went back to Virginia, where he was a slave, and he purchased his wife out of slavery. Went back to work, made some more money, purchased one daughter out of slavery. Went back to work and purchased his other daughter out of slavery. So he purchased his whole entire family out of slavery. Came back here to what we now know as Arlington, Tennessee, and, and planted Grace Creek Church in 1843 when it must have been extremely difficult to do so. He had all kind of odds against him. Everything was stacked up against him. And I was able to walk through that cemetery on that day because one guy who had a lot of opposition as a slave said that I'm not going to make life about me. I could go hide away somewhere. It's difficult uh, for a person like me at that time. 
He didn't do that. He said, I'm going I'm to invest my life in making sure that my family knows about Christ and other people's family know about Christ. And as I walked through that cemetery that day, I was able to see name after name and, and person after person who shared their legacy of faith because one man said, I wasn't going to make it about myself. I'm going to make it about Christ. That's great. Lord knows I want to pass along a legacy like that. But if we're being honest, it's difficult. It's difficult and it takes work. Moses shows us in the text that it, it takes work. If we're going to pass along that kind of legacy, it's going to take some diligence. I can want that all day, but to be honest, it takes some, it needs some, some shoe leather on that. It's going to take some work. Uh, he, he shows us, uh, Moses in, in verse six and seven, he says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other, word, in other words, to influence the next generation is going to cost us. And it's going to cost us time. If we're really going to invest in the next generation, whether we have kids or we mentor another person's kid, if we're going to truly invest in the next generation, man, it's going to cost us some time. Uh, the world gets this. The world gets it. Um, Barbie doll, the company that makes Barbies, they they spend six hundred million dollars a year in Barbie doll ads. So they play, they play those Barbie doll commercials over and over and over and over again, because they know after a while your daughter's gonna see that Barbie doll commercial and she's gonna say, "I gotta have a Barbie doll, make it happen." <laughs> Eventually, she's gonna ask you for one because they know that time over time creates impact. Time over time. Uh, creates influence and over time, time over time actually creates a history. So they, they, they play those commercials over and over and over knowing that at some point they're going to influence the next generation. And, and for us, we don't, we don't have to spend $600 million to pull something like that off. And we don't even have to have a lot of money to do this, but we do all have time. We all have some time that we can give to, to further invest, uh, in, in our own children and other people's Children, Moses lays this out, lays this out for us. He says, uh, when you when you're in your house, well, what's that? That's that's meal time. Just think about that meal time, how you can, how you can make the most of that, right? So that's time that's built in meal time. You can do a devotional. You can talk about how the day went. Uh, but but that's some time that, that God is that God has already given us. Moses says, when you walk by the way, well, you might not be might not be walking by the way. You probably got a car. All right. And so what's that? That's drive time. That's time that you can invest in talking and, and, and making that meaningful. And instead of just turning the radio up, just, you know, share a moment together. Some of my most meaningful uh, moments were with my mom when she would pick me up after school when I was in high school. And some days high school was an absolute mess. But I would have those real conversations with my mom and, and she would talk to me and we, we shared we shared those moments. And that time adds up and adds up and adds up and creates history. Uh, Moses said, when you lie down, what's that? Bedtime. Uh, I learned the Lord's Prayer at my bedtime. Just, you know, nothing, nothing special. You don't have to have a theology degree to pull that off. You, just, you can teach them, teach them how to pray. And then morning time, you know, when you rise up. All that, all that to say, uh, we have time. It's just how we, how we maximize it and uh, how we make the most of it. Time over time will make history with a kid. We're going to make some kind of history, whether good or bad. We're going to create history. And that's how your legacy is going to be built, be built by investing time. We can want it 
all day. But if we're not willing to invest that time, we really won't get a chance to leave that real legacy. And so that's all good. But if, but if we're being honest, that's one thing that every family has in common. Every family that's represented in, in this room. And that's this. Every family is in a fight. We're all in a fight. If you look to the left of you or the right of you, you're going to see a person represented by a family uh, that's in some kind of fight. When me and Ashley first did our premarital counseling, our premarital counselors told us, before you step into this thing called marriage, just know that it's going to get difficult and you're going to step into a fight. You're going to step into a spiritual battle. And it's not because you're so cool or you're so awesome that the devil is just going after your marriage. No, it's not about that at all. The enemy hates marriage. He hates family because family is a covenant with God. Family is a representation, a representation of God. And just because you're in a covenant with God, you have a bleeping target on you. So I, I don't say that to put fear into you or to scare you, but just to bring about awareness that your family is in a fight. And some of you guys, it may be more real uh, to you than others on this morning. But that's just a reality uh, that we have to accept. When, when, when Moses was sending Israel into Canaan, he wanted them to know, guys, you're in a fight. So you need to prepare and act like so. Uh, in 2017, we see very clearly that the family is in a fight. Uh, I hate this statistic, but still, close to 50% of marriages uh, end a divorce. That means in a room this size that we're fighting and we got to support each other and help each other fight. But that, that's still the, the sickening statistic. Um, With our teenagers, with our young people, many of them are depressed. Another sad uh, statistic, uh, the number two cause of death for teenagers is suicide. Our young people don't know how to deal with despair and don't know how to deal with with pain. The family's in a fight. Uh, Single moms are worn out, tired. One third of single moms live below the poverty line. And that's a reality for us right here in Memphis. Many of those families in a fight. Many young men didn't get a legacy passed down to them. They didn't get somebody to teach them about God. They didn't get somebody to teach them about life. They didn't get somebody to teach them the practical things, how to change the spare tire, how to keep the car running. They, they, they didn't get that. And so there's a void there. And if that's you this morning, you, you may be like, man, I didn't get nothing passed down to me. All I got was an empty void, and I'm trying to figure this thing out. And parenthetically to you, I just want to say God can use you to start something brand new. If somebody didn't pass along something to you, God can start right now in your life and begin to, to work that legacy out uh, with you and your family. Uh, 70% of kids walk away from the church after they leave high school. That one breaks my heart the most as a person who works with youth. Um, and people are still trying to figure out why that happened. I'm not trying to depress you. All of that to say that it's real. And the family is truly in the fight. And I hope you don't hear that and say, well, I'm going to be super parent. I'm going to be super youth leader or super children's worker or super. No, super teacher. No, that's that's not (laughs) that's not my hope today for us to get all pumped up and be strong. As we're talking about uh, this month, what we need to do is actually be dependent on the Lord and to start weak. We need to start weak when it comes to our family. We need to press into God and say, Lord, help me because I don't know what I'm doing. All right. Uh, we need to press into community and say, somebody come alongside me and help me and walk through this thing. You know what? It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to be weak. It actually takes courage to be weak. It takes courage to walk into community group and say, man, we just had a fight and it was bad. It takes courage to, to walk into your community group and say, man, the kids 
they, they, they hate God. And I don't know where to go with this. It takes courage to say, I don't know what I'm doing. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to pick up their phone and say, help. And that's what all of us need. Which leads me to our final point on today. The family and the church need each other. The family's important. And the family's in a fight. And therefore, the family and the church, guys, we, we need each other. Um, when Moses addressed Israel, he addressed them starting off by saying, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. He didn't say, Hear, O parents. Uh, he didn't say, Hear, O married couple. He said, Hear, O Israel, because he was speaking to the entire covenant community saying, you guys got to work together if you're actually going to pass on this legacy of faith to one generation to the next. If you're actually going to pull it off, if, you, if it's actually going to happen, you're going to have to work together to pull this thing off. So he wasn't just talking to moms and dads. He was talking to grandparents, uncles, aunts. Uh, he was talking to youth leaders and, and, and children's ministry leaders. He was talking to teachers. Uh, he was talking to, to everyone in that community saying that you guys are going to have to work together if you really are going to pull this thing off and pass on that legacy uh, of faith to the next generation. So uh, to, our, to our singles, you know, you may say, well, I'm checked out on this message because I don't have, have kids yet. God is calling you to, to activate you to be involved. Empty nesters. I know you thought it was over, but but God says I still can use you uh, to pass along this legacy of faith. Talk talk to a young twenty-something who just got married. We we need help. We 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 still trying to learn to figure this thing out. Um, but all of that to say that everybody's involved. And and, and Moses could have been the first to to uh, to use the old catchphrase. It takes a village uh, to raise a child. We all need people to step alongside our families. All right. When I was uh, when I was in high school uh, for my family, it was a man by the name of Van Parker. My dad used to call him Shouty because he was a short little dude. Uh, but he was my basketball coach. Uh, he was my basketball coach in high school, and for two years, uh, Van Parker or Shouty uh, taught me about basketball, but he also taught me about Christ. I remember we'd be in basketball practice and doing drills or whatever, and then Van would just stop practice. All right. Time to do devotional. And at that time, I didn't appreciate it as much. I'm like, man, I'm trying to work on my jumper. You're trying to talk to me about Jesus. But okay, I'll listen. But uh, for two years, time over time added up and created history. And what Van was teaching me at basketball practice was very much reinforcing what my parents were teaching me at home. And it was very helpful, And which, which leads me to, to this final point. Two combined influences are better than one. Two combined influences are better than one. You may think you are a super youth leader. You don't need to partner with the parents. Wrong. <laughs> you may think you're super, super parent that you don't need no help. Wrong. God was speaking to everybody. He says two, two combined influences are better than one. Every kid, uh, they, they, need a, they need a parent who knows their history. You know about them. They need a parent who knows their history. And they need another leader who, who's discovering who they are. They need, they need a parent who knows their history and knows all about them, but they also need uh, another, another leader who knows who they are. So for parents, I just want to encourage you to widen the circle. Widen the circle of influence. Expose them to other people, to coaches, uh, to people in our church, to people outside of our church, to a godly uncle, aunt. But bring somebody else into that with you. You don't, you don't have to, 
uh, you, you don't need to. You definitely don't have to uh, do that alone. And for the church, man, let's let's lock arms together. When we do that, those those baptisms and membership days where we extend our hands and pray for people, that's just not for show. That's that's legitimate. We're saying we're gonna lock arms with you and do life with you and help you pass along uh, that legacy of faith uh, from one generation to next. Well, as we close. Uh, I hate to ruin the movie for you, but true to Moses' concerns, the Israelites failed quite often at passing on, along the legacy of faith. Um, they, they didn't do it. They fell in love with, with idols, just like he, he, he feared for them. Um, but ultimately, uh, Israel wasn't the, 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 the big uh, shebang that God was banking on. He wasn't banking on them necessarily to, to, to save everybody for all generations. Uh, God's ultimate hope uh, to save all generations is Jesus himself. He, he's the great hope. He, he's the hero of Israel. He's the hero of our families. Uh, we all will, I emphasize will, not maybe, we all will fail as family members. We all will fail as brothers, sisters, mothers, daughters, fathers, sons. We, we will fail in that area. But God is ultimately banking on his son to be the one who, who saves people, not us. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the whole plan. For God to use broken families and a broken church to, to tell this story of redemption through so that he can reign supreme and, and so that he can get all of the glory and so that we can press into him and not press into ourselves. And so for every, for every child that may feel like they've been let down by a parent, he says that I'm a father to the fatherless and he draws near to you and he'll be your father. For every husband, wife, parent who, who struggles to meet their own standards, there's a God who says that my grace is sufficient for you in your weaknesses. You don't have to find your identity in your performance. Your identity is in, in Christ who saved you. And for those who work with kids daily, who teach and you, you do urban outreach ministry or you, you work at a school or you, or you have your stay at home mom or you're a working mom. God says he's with you. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you in that process. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your masterless sons, Jesus name. Saying, God, we thank you that you ultimately are the hero of our families. And Father God, I pray. Uh, For anybody in this room right now that's struggling to be weak, uh, that's struggling to to, to open up and say, you know what, I need help. I pray that you would pry their hands open and help them trust you and help them find a brother or sister uh, that they can trust. Lord God, you are faithful even when we are faithless. Guard our families, protect them as we're in a fight, Father God. We know that you are a hero and our protector. And we just look to you for all of the support that we need to do this thing. It's in your mighty son's Jesus name that we pray. Amen.